What would you do if you got scammed? Would you suffer in silence or would you do something about it? Well, I got scammed once and this is the story of what I did. I'm Justin Sales, the host of The Wedding Scammer, a true crime podcast from The Ringer. And for seven episodes, we're hunting a con man, a guy with a lot of aliases, a guy who's ruined a lot of weddings. And with the help of some friends, I just might be able to catch him. Listen to The Wedding Scammer on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Ice Tea. Go beyond reality with new Pure Leaf Blackberry Ice Tea and discover a berry delicious world bursting with unexpected blackberry flavor. A world so full of refreshing blackberry ice tea that you may never want to leave. But there's always time to linger. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit amazon.com slash pureleaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. This episode is brought to you by Heineken Silver. People can be hard to please. You take beer to a party and they're all, it's too watered down, it's too boring, or ugh, I drank that back in college. Thankfully, there's new Heineken Silver a world-class light beer with only 2.9 carbs and 95 calories, and a crisp and refreshing taste to satisfy even your pickiest friend. Finally, try Heineken Silver today, the world-class light beer with all the taste, no bitter endings. Available at your local Heineken retailer or for delivery at heineken.com silver. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Enjoy Heineken responsibly. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Pod Has Spoken, episode four, season 45 of Survivor. Joined me, like always, as always, except for one time he missed. Uh, I think it was work-related, which is, yeah, this is work, Riley. Well, work sent me to Sweden once, and it was during the, the finale, and so we don't get as good as screeners for that. So it would have meant me being up from like the hours of like 2 a.m. to like 7 a.m. or something. Or maybe it was like even worse than that, I think. It was, it was basically not possible. So I get a pass. It was one time. You get you decide if you get a pass? I guess. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I've decided that. I'm not in trouble. At <laughs> okay. I guess that's what adults get to do is decide if they are actually in trouble or not. We have a very exciting guest with us today. Another contestant from season 42. Before we introduce him, a little insight here is that uh, we try to get people from at least like two seasons ago. It's just like easier for us than uh, the contracts are 12 months with CBS. And so that's why we haven't called you earlier uh, with us today from season 42. Hi. Hi, what's up? Hi, Tyson. Hi, Riley. Um, Good. I'm happy to be here. I'm sure people watching this might be like, who is this guy? He looks nothing like I remember, you know, less blood and less mud and a lot more <laughs> hair. 
and many more piercings. But yes. Are you in also in a bulking phase? Because you look jacked on Instagram. Is that like a new oh. thing or you've always been jacked? Thank you. You know what? I was, my diet was very different when I was prepping for the show and when I played the show. I okay. was infamously vegan. And now I'm a lot more flexible with my diet. Um, I'm so mostly vegetarian, but I do consume some dairy. Um, and I'm not as strict on myself. I'm definitely giving myself a lot more grace. Um, but I'm also working out a lot more, which is why my physique definitely has changed since my season. Okay. And is there a reason? Are you just like a better version of you? Are you getting a call back from Survivor? What is, uh, what is the purpose of this? No, I think it's it's... Everything that I've done since I've left Survivor has been for my own personal growth. Uh, I think my experience on the show was fantastic, but it also taught me to really view myself from a different lens and really consider uh, taking care of myself in a different way. So I think after leaving Survivor, I was very focused not just on like the spiritual and like the personal development, but also physically um, getting myself to a place that I wanted to be in and that I could feel uh, strong and proud about. Okay. I, uh, I'm the opposite. Every single choice I've made since the first time I was on Survivor is planning for maybe going back on Survivor. It's like gotcha. if I buy a pair of underwear, it's like flamingo print. Yeah, that'll look cool on TV. <laughs> buying them. Pretty superficial, but uh, it's the only way I know. Yeah, no, I think a lot of people leave the show maybe anticipating sort of the same thing after they've played the first time. For me, I think it's almost like a dangerous mindset to plan for hypotheticals, which is to say, sure, you can plan on getting a callback and playing again, but what if you don't? Like, is all of your work in vain and for naught? Or can you base your goals off of something that is more personal and intrinsic than... Uh, basing it off of doing it for other people or for a television show. Yeah, no, I agree. Go back to your regular life. Yeah. Sure, it's always probably in the back of your mind, like hopefully, maybe, whatever, but it's a sad existence to keep your fingers crossed that a extremely large corporation is going to give you a call back to yeah. go back on your favorite TV show. You know what? And it's, it's funny because every once in a while, I'll be outside when it's cold and a, and a wind will blow by and it takes me right back to the island where there were those nights where the weather was so bad yeah. and it's raining and you're just miserable. And in those moments, it reminds me of what I felt like back on the island, which is to say, oh, fuck, I never want to go back to this place. <laughs> but I, I think you're right. I think like with time and distance away from that awful experience. I think a lot of people forget how bad it was. And I think a lot of us would jump immediately back if we were given the opportunity, which is crazy. That's the crazy part of it is like the conditions were so miserable, but every single person that I know would accept that invite. I've also kind of wondered about that in life in general. Do people remember the good over the bad? Is that is that why or is it because the high of being on TV and of all of that is is what's fueling those memories? Because like, I look back at my survivor experiences and mostly positive. Like I can drum up some negatives or I can do stuff like that. But like I am mostly like, yeah, that was cool. Oh, that was awesome. But then if you like are really like, let's focus on how shitty it was. Like we could spend days and days doing that, but we never do. Yeah, I think that I think the answer varies by who you ask. I think for me, 
I mostly live in the positive of it all, even though I didn't really journal or document my feelings immediately after filming. Every time I think about my experience, it's positive. Um, and I, I think when it skews negative is when you when you consider the airing and the public's perception of you during airing. And a lot of the feelings that you have for yourself are somehow skewed by other people's perception of you. And that's when it becomes really dangerous because all of a sudden, all of your positive feelings for your, for your experience are now muddled, muddled by other people's opinions. And I think if you don't really have a good foundation of like who you are, your identity and your experience, you start listening to other people a little too much. And I think that gets really unhealthy. Yeah. Good news and bad news for you. Hi, you're, de- you're definitely right. But that also never goes away. It's like, yeah. I know who I am. I'm very confident with who I am. Yeah. But if some asshole online says the right thing at the right time, yeah, I am, I will spend two hours in the day thinking like, how do I ruin this person's <laughs> maybe life for sure their day more than they've ruined mine? Yeah. And uh, sometimes it's the long game. So anybody who's ever said anything negative about me online, I am coming for you. Don't think that I didn't see what you said. And I am coming and you need to watch your back because when it comes, you will not be expecting it. And it will happen swiftly. And you won't even know it's from me. And that's fine for me. You don't have to know it's coming from me. But in 20 years, when your kids can't get into college, no matter what you do, even with a 4.0, even though they should be getting scholarships, and you're like, how come I can't get my kids into college anywhere? That's me. It's Tyson. That's me. Yeah. (laughs) I did something. (laughs) Did you ever have any burner accounts during or after your season? I and didn't. I only, only asked because I know several members, uh, several of my cast members uh-huh. to had burner accounts. That several? They, that's like half the cast. Half the cast? Well, it's a lot of the cast. It's okay. a lot of the cast. Okay. Yeah. You're not going to say exactly who, though. No, I'm not, not going to call them out. I'm, I'm pretty sure some of them have admitted it at this point. And what would these burner accounts do? Would they be like, Oh, so like if I had a burner account, would it be like Tyson's my favorite? He's so rad. Or would he be like, would my burner account go to battle for me in those moments? Yeah, I think it's the latter. I think you're like sort of saving face and fighting these internet teenagers <laughs> on your own behalf from a, like a fake account. You know, who's, who's to argue that High is not the greatest survivor to ever play against a blank avatar? Like, who is to say that? Yeah. That is true. You're right. You are the greatest. Yeah, I never had burner accounts. I I know that that is a thing that does happen. Uh, I think that's just a lot of energy. But you know what? You you got to do what you got to do to get yourself through it mentally and emotionally. So if creating 10,000 burner accounts and your own fan club and your own Reddit thread with all these burner accounts also linked to it and you've created <laughs> a thousand emails to be able to create the then, you know what, more power to you. I respect the game. Yeah, that sounds real healthy. (laughs) Riley, you don't know, dude. You don't know. Can you imagine what an army of Tyson Apostle burner accounts would be doing? I would have definitely lots of people's kids would already not be qualified to go to college for (laughs) reasons unknown to them. Do you think Jeff has ever created any sort of online account to talk about himself? I don't think so, especially not recently. I think he watches more than people realize, though. I think he's in tune with 
what the fans are saying and when they're saying it and stuff like that. So, yeah. I only ask because it it must feel so limiting as the host of the show where you also have your own experience and your own opinions. Yeah. But because you are the host, you don't get to publicly share them. So for me, it must be so interesting how he gets to express himself as a season is airing because he's, I'm sure, just as connected and tied to a lot of these stories and characters. Um, so that's where my question comes from. Is like, when does he get to talk about his experience besides the podcast? I don't know that he, yeah, I don't know that he really talks about that much on the podcast like that, but he is in control of the edit. So he gets to tell the story he wants to be told in a sense yeah. to a certain degree, right? Uh, let's get into it. Season 45, Jeff in control of the edit. What are you liking about 45 so far? You got some favorite contestants? 45 is so good. 45 has single-handedly gotten me back into the series. And that's not to say that I don't like the show. And it's not to take away from my experience. I had a great time. But I think a little... Once you see how the sausage is made, you kind of don't eat the sausage anymore um, or enjoy it as much. And I think after 42, I did take a little bit of a backseat for 43 and 44. And maybe that's because um, I have been through the format and I see sort of like the formula behind it all. And I don't think 43 and 44 were too... They didn't change the ingredients too much. So for me, it was like a lot less enjoyable, especially knowing a lot of the contestants that played and seeing their personalities and getting to know them and then seeing like a very like one-dimensional edit of them really did take away from the viewing experience for me personally. 45, I made it an effort to really not talk to any of these newbies beforehand because I wanted to be able to go into it knowing nothing, right? And it has been so enjoyable. Everyone has been given such a dynamic edit. Like we get to see people's thoughts. We get to understand their reasoning. We get to watch relationships form and dissolve. And it has been such a fun journey. And like the overall story that is being crafted this season has me very invested. In the past, you're saying you haven't reached out to anybody on 45. Did you pre-season reach out to people as casts were announced? And what would a message like that look like? Like, I'm on season 44. I'm Tyson. Be bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, excited for the season to come out. I get a DM from High from the season before me or two seasons before me. What's that DM saying? Yeah, I think there's a culture of welcoming people into the community. Oh, I purposely don't do that. (laughs) I think with the new era uh, post-pandemic, there's definitely a culture of, hey, welcome to the family. Uh Uh, I have the tools um, since I've been through this weird experience if you need someone to talk to, to help you work through whatever sort of like weird nuanced feelings you have. And a lot of it for me was like building community um, with people who were similar in lifestyles, specifically the queer contestants, where I feel like there aren't that many of us or there wasn't that many of us. And for me, a large part of my reason for going on the show was to find community. So when you are presented with Uh, people who've gone through a similar experience. It's not to say that they relate to you in every way. It's just to say you guys share a lot of commonalities that you can bond over. And you absolutely use that to welcome people into the community and get to know them. Um, So a message would be like, hey, welcome to the community. I hope that you are having a 
okay time healing post game. And I'm here in case you ever need to talk. And some people take you up on it and some people don't. And that's okay too. Um, and I think the shift for 45, it, it does take a lot of steam and energy um, out of you continuously doing this. Yeah. And at a certain point, you sort of like recoil back and like preserve your energy because um, you learn that as much as you want to help people, when they're fresh off the island and they're fresh out of the game, it's really hard for them to conceptualize your words in a way that is meaningful, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, until they've fully been through it, it's very yeah. hard to really understand what someone before you yeah. has, uh, is even explaining to you. You're like, yeah, that's not me. I don't know, you know, it's, it is yeah. hard that way. And uh, that's probably partly, you know, why I don't reach it. Because I know everybody that's played the game, especially recently since we've been doing this podcast, like I have everybody's name memorized, I, you know, all of those things and right off the bat because I have to. But it does take a lot of energy to do that. And also like you connect with some people, you don't connect with some people. And then at what point are you like, you know what, never mind, this connection isn't like, <laughs> like what is, uh, I prefer a more organic meeting, like yeah. in person or uh, when I need a guest on my podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. I will say going to the events are really fun. Getting to know people in person is yeah. so much fun because I think my favorite part about this community is how much everyone loves to party. Um, so I will always welcome a good party invitation. <laughs> okay, good to know. Everyone, get your party invitations in the mail to Hi. He will accept. Night seven, Lulu, after uh, the vote out last week, Sabaya getting blindsided with an idol in her pocket. Sean, was he playing it too cool? Like, what is the balance there? Because it seemed like he was going a little overboard with, you guys did such a great job that I'm not mad. I promise I'm not mad. Like, if someone says I'm not mad more than three times, yeah, they're mad. I, I was not so much disappointed by Sean's scrambling when they got back to camp as I was impressed by Emily's ability to read the situation. I think Emily is such an astute player. I think she does come off a little abrasive and blunt with how she communicates, but her perceptions are spot on, right? I think Sean saying that, hey, Caleb, you were never my plan, outed him and his intentions, which were to vote for Emily, and she picked up on that. So I was very impressed with Emily's ability to pick up on the information that Sean was kind of like secondhandedly giving them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Emily is, I, she's getting better at not being blunt, which I think is is right now, especially the first episode into the second episode, I was like, there's no way this girl can win. Like even yeah. if she's sitting at final tribal council, she's rubbing everyone the wrong way. Yeah. And now she's reining it in. She's becoming more self-aware yeah. or at least she's like settling into her own in the game. And I think now she does have a path to victory. Yeah, absolutely. I think similar to my experience after my first tribal where we almost went to rocks, we got Jenny, I got Jenny out. Um, immediately afterwards at camp, I was very much able to use that situation and the fallout after that tribal to get people to spill information. So I think percep perceptive players like Emily will leverage every opportunity where there is chaos and there is 
no cohesion within the tribe in order to get information because players will often come back from camp after they're blindsided, uh, very fearful, uh, feeling like they're on the bottom and they're going to attach themselves to anyone with perceived power. So I, I, I'm not sure what other conversations happen between her and Sean and Kayla, but I'm sure she used that as an opportunity to gain intel. Yeah. I also like how, you know, like Caleb also spoke to like, I can trust Emily. And, and so that kind of bonded them together. And you need those moments to really lock it in. So have you been paying attention to these Easter eggs in the opening credits? I have not. What is going on with the Easter eggs? So Jeff said that during the opening credits, obviously they're back. Uh, sorry, hi, you didn't get yours. That's, that's reason enough to have to go back and play again. Maybe. Maybe. But he said that every episode during the, those opening credits, there is an Easter egg hidden somewhere. Riley, I saw you nod your head. Did you notice something different in the credits this time that wasn't there at present? Yeah, I've, I've picked up. It's like toward the end of the credits, there's like a, like a very quick shot of something that relates to something that's going to happen in the episode. Like uh, heading into episode two, they really briefly showed a beware advantage. And I believe that was the episode where Austin found a beware advantage. In the, I can't remember what it was for episode three, but this one, it was like all of the buffs dropping, mm -hmm. like all the three colors of the buffs dropping. And it was like, that's the, the swap is happening this episode. So it, there's like some kind of, it's like in the same spot every time, like right before the end, there's like a little shot that relates to something that's going to happen in the episode. Okay but not groundbreaking necessarily. It's not like you're... No, it's not, it's not like we're cracking a code here. Yeah, no, it's, okay. yeah. it's like, okay. oh, that's cute. They're not hinting at the winner. They're just foreshadowing something that will happen. Yeah. That's fun. Or, yeah. yeah. One thing I love about the new era is that I feel like the editors are given a lot more room to experiment and have fun with how they tell the story. And I think things like Easter eggs are uh, really like lovely. And I... It's like a love letter from the editors to like the super fans who overanalyzed everything. Yeah, that that is true. Let's get to everyone thinks they're going in for a challenge. Sean's already been hinting at hoping for a tribe swap. And before we get to the announcement of the tribe swap, we have everyone's reaction to Sabaya. If you're on one of the other tribes and Lulu walks in without Sabaya, are you... Is your jaw dropping to the floor and why? Yeah, yeah, she was 100% my winner's pick. I think the way that Sabaya played the game in three episodes was so indicative of her ability to play the game long-term. And I think if it wasn't for the fact that she lost her vote, she really was a threat to like go very far. And everyone's reactions was uh, very telling because I think they all perceived the same thing, right? And... If you're perceptive, people's um, reaction when your tribe comes in after you come back from tribal is really telling as to like what they assume is happening on your side because no one's no one's communicating across tribes. So if someone is shocked, that could you could use that as information and then ask them or work with them to understand what their perception is and really use that to your advantage because there's two things that are happening out there. There's like reality and then there's perception. And I would argue a lot of the times that perception has as much weight 
on decision making and outcomes as the reality. Because a lot of the times the reality is hard to communicate if people aren't listening to you. But if they already have a perceived idea of what is going on, you can really drill that idea home. Yeah. I like it. But so let's workshop this new strategy I just came up with on the fly as you were talking about that. Uh, is there a way to fake your own death on Survivor so that you can see what everyone is saying? Like, you know, like, oh, I don't know how loved I am. I'm going to pretend like I'm going to lay in this coffin in this casket, throw a funeral, and then people yeah. come up and whisper sweet nothings in what they think is your dead body's ear. Surprise, yeah. you're alive the whole time. How do you do that on Survivor where you can, because sure, Everyone's shocked at Sabaya. Uh, and so, like, Sabaya is perceived to be a leader there. And that's all well and good for everyone else. But Sabaya isn't in the game anymore to know that people perceive her as that. So how yeah. do you get that while still staying in the game? Yeah, I, I actually did this strategy on 42 during the merge where I knew I wasn't at the bottom anymore. I knew very much I was running my original starting tribe with this really weird iron fist where um, my tribe was doing the plans that I was like asking them to. But when we got to merge, I didn't want to be perceived as the person calling the shots. So I changed the percep like the perception to being at the bottom. And once people think that you're at the bottom, they're a lot more willing to feed you information because you are a number to be grabbed. So I, I think it's a really fun strategy if you're able to convince people that you are helpless and that you are a number to be picked up, um, which is, I think, what Emily is doing, by the way, this episode when she joins. And there's nowhere, no one else from Lulu to corroborate her experience so far yeah, so she yeah. could be whoever she wants to be and i think that's the cool thing about tribe swaps and merges is that you're able to reinvent yourself and if you're unable to reinvent yourself i think that's where you're going to start flailing a little bit yeah so let's get to the tribe swap jeff announces tribe swap again revolutionizing the game unheard <laughs> of you excited about the tribe swap on uh, the post uh covid era of survivor yeah. Oh my gosh. During my season, every time we were headed off on a boat somewhere, we were all praying for a tribe swap. Yeah. We were so sick of each other by like day five. Like mm -hmm. any new human interaction was very much like wanted. Um, and it just never came on 41, 42, 43, or 44. So like after a four season hiatus, it was so exciting. I'm like, switch it up. Like, yeah. let's, let's make them uneasy. Yeah, I, I like it too. I think also, like you touched on something there, you were so sick of each other after a handful of days. On these smaller tribes, you get that way. Like I remember getting down to six and being so sick of it, all of the people I'm with. Uh, but you start like that now. On uh, see other seasons I played on, it's a tribe of 10. You have a couple people there that you are not gonna necessarily get sick of immediately. But on a tribe of six, it's like, there's a way less chance that you're really, really going to hit it off with a few people and yeah. you're around each other way more. And so you're, yeah. So that uh, I assume, because I've also been in that situation where you're like, come on, let's do a swap. Let's do yeah. something. I'm sick of this and it's moving slow and people are getting on my nerves and I'm getting on their nerves and I know yeah. it. Let's hit a hard refresh. So I do like that too. Everybody's excited. Did they not mix the buffs? What happened there? 
yeah, that was a really weird split, right? No, I think they did mix the buffs. I like went back and rewatched the the drawing. Okay, um, that's just how the numbers fail uh, fell. So I guess my question for you, yeah. as someone who's won the game, in that scenario, what sort of split would you have preferred for yourself? I think you need to be perceived as on the bottom, definitely, and you need to be in like a swing votey position. Yeah, and so I mean. What we have all of Reba pretty much staying there with four of the original six members at Reba. I don't think that's a bad position per se, but I think a stronger position is probably someone like Emily, where she's like hovering in the middle of two groups of two and can then lock it in with a tight threesome. And then maybe be brought along further into the game. And especially like, so we saw. Emily talking to Austin and Drew and saying, this is the final three, let's do it. Also knowing that they're going to go back to the merge. There's probably going to be some more Reba at the merge still with Dee and Julie. And then Emily, what becomes the swing vote amongst the remaining Reba anyways? Like, I think that that's a very strong position. Uh, how about you? Who, who came out a winner in the swap and who came out a loser? Yeah, I agree with you. I think that Emily... Caleb and Sean all entered the swap in great positions because based on what we were talking about earlier, they get to reinvent themselves. Yeah, They get to, no one is annoyed with them off the bat. No one's lived with them. They get to be new versions of themselves, but also they're in this like very important pivotal position to decide who amongst the, uh, the tribe they want to work with. And when you're one person, people are going to pine after you, unlike being a duo where people are going to target you. Being a minority in terms of numbers sometimes when it comes to swaps or merges can be a benefit. Yeah, I think it almost always is unless you are in strict control of a majority. Like if Reba here, we look at Reba and we've got Sifu, D, Julie, and Jay. Uh, all there. If those are a tight, tight, tight foursome and you're in control of that tight foursome, great. But if you are waffling anywhere or there's any disarray amongst the four, then that's a big problem. Yeah, but I think very perceptive players will learn from history. Every season of the new era has had a tribe that has been itching to go to tribal. 41 was the blue tribe. They like try to throw a challenge to vote out the eventual winner, Erica. Yeah. 44, uh, they were like, they were all kind of clamoring to get to tribal because they wanted to play the game. And I think if you pick up on that trend, uh, you can expect whatever tribes intact at a swap or emerge to have fractures. Yeah. And if, if they, they haven't gone to tribal yet, definitely. Correct. Because people yeah. are itching to play. So even if reality says, hey, that strong six should stick together, the perception amongst that six is that we're ready to jump. So it goes back to reality versus perception. You should drill the weird perceptions home. Yeah. I also think that adding to what you said there, if you haven't gone to tribal council, you haven't drawn a line and you haven't proven your loyalty to anybody. So those connections are not as strong. Like if you're Reba, you've never gone to tribal council. 
I don't fully know if I trust somebody to vote the way I think they're going to vote because I haven't seen them do that yet. Exactly. And so you are more willing to, you know, jump ship because you haven't, you know, seen tribal council. You haven't drawn any lines with any of those people. And then we get, uh, I'm looking at these tribes too. And immediately when I see them, I'm like, great. We have Katura with Bruce. Good. That has to stay. Yeah. There's no, there's not a world <laughs> where we can't keep them on the same track. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I like, I love it. I love it so much. I'm also looking, I'm like, okay, which of these tribes do I want to see go to tribal council? Not for any reason of malice or anything. I'm like, which is going to be the best t- episode of TV in yeah. this moment? And I think because Lulu, all three went different directions, any tribe, this episode, like as soon as this swap happened, you're like, we're going to have a great episode. It doesn't matter because the lines are drawn in such a fashion that it's unclear who's going to go home. And there's definitely going to be some battling or some fireworks. Which again is a credit to the editors that took the time and care to craft these stories prior to the swap so that we as the viewers are excited because we already see the immediate lines that are being drawn, which is very exciting as a viewer. I agree with you. I Once the swap happened, I could see various combinations of people working together and then various people becoming the target just based off of what was told to us previously. Yeah. Lulu rolls up to camp first with their new tribe. And uh, Bruce immediately gets emotional. Why are you laughing? Well, I laughed because it didn't connect to me why he was crying first. I was just like, oh, this is silly. I was like, oh, what are these emotions? And then he started explaining it. And then I was like, oh, yes, this is very traumatic. Um, I can only imagine what that feels like. Like gratefulness, trauma, all of the above. That was a touching scene. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of also at first I was like, what is he doing here? Because everybody's like, we're here. We did it a swap. And then he was like, I got to uh, I got to cry for a second here. And then it made sense when he explained it. Do you like Katura's aggressive cross cross referencing of Bruce immediately? Yeah, she, she, I I just love Katura. I, I, uh, she's so good. I think her entire storyline right now is just hating on Bruce, which, listen, it's fun, it's silly, uh, it's not that serious, so I welcome it. Uh, So I am very grateful that they are still on the same tribe. Yeah, I am too. I I like how she kind of is like, Bruce, hold up, I want Caleb to tell us exactly how Brandon's journey went. And it's like so obvious. Yeah. (laughs) It's such a lawyer move. Is nobody picking up that she's a lawyer? Yeah, that that is a good call. I'm shocked that Jake hasn't picked it up considering he's also a lawyer. Also, just like Katora's reads on people to me are so incredible because her ability to recognize that Jake being a lawyer himself is a threat, but he's really not that much of a threat because he's a baby lawyer. So he doesn't have all of the same skills that she might have in in order to lie and read people. So I'm excited every time she's on screen. Um, I would love to see her go to tribal because I want to see how she's going to craft a plan to get Bruce out. (laughs) Yeah, well, let's talk about her and also Jay Maya. They both seem to be playing pretty emotionally here based on 
yeah. the fact that they are just bothered by someone. Jay Maya is claiming that Sifu might have an advantage or something, but the rest of the tribe knows that he does not. Uh, like, because yeah. Austin and Drew have pretty much shared with the remainder of the Reba tribe that they have all the advantages. Yeah. And so, like, Julie and uh, D can't be scared at all. So, where is the line there between, like, getting someone out that is just grating to you or on you or however you would say that yeah. uh, versus just playing it cool and letting the chips fall versus taking them far knowing that they're annoying? I love this question. It's one that I think about a lot in terms of like, do you play with emotions or do you play with logic? Because everyone plays differently. It's it's not something that you prefer. It's something that happens, right? Yeah, let me jump in real quick. Yeah. With that thought before you get further into it, but bookmark it here. That's what makes Survivor beautiful is that mm-hmm. people have to play. They can't not play emotionally. Like if everyone just played strategically, the show would have been canceled a long time ago because it'd just be like, plug the thing into the algorithm and see who the winner pops out. Like, that's easy. Yeah, exactly. I'm also grateful for emotional players. But to that point, when you play with people that come off emotional, you might not consider their idea as valid, which is not to say it is or it's not. It's just the perception of, hey, you want to vote this person out because you dislike them? Or like, hey, you want to vote this person out because they like rub you the wrong way. It's for me as a player who tried to play logically, there's a disconnect between your reasoning and my reasoning. So if I'm going to have to choose like a strategy, I'm going to choose my logical uh, decision making, which is to say Katora, Jemaya might have Jemaya definitely had a harder time this episode communicating why she wanted to get Sipu out because Julie and Dee just did not understand where she was coming from emotionally. Whereas it, I think if she framed it more strategically, she could have caught some fish with her bait. Yeah. If, I, if someone comes to me and they're like, I want to get them out because they bug me. I was like, that's all well and good. But is that the smartest decision? Because if they just bug you, are they still going to be the most loyal? And if that so, then why does them getting on your nerves even matter? Yeah. And so like, not my business. yeah. So it does kind of minimize like your efforts to target someone if they are emotional. And that's based solely on the fact that everybody who goes into Survivor, when you go in, your first thing you say to yourself, I'm playing 100% strategic. I don't care about emotion. I don't care about happen to hurt people's feelings. I don't care about any of that. It's all strategy. And if it's not strategic, then uh, I have to reevaluate. And yeah. so then you come in and either you're, you get emotional or someone starts playing emotionally and you kind of discount that saying that like, oh, but you're not being strategic. Like they could have strategic reasons. Yeah. And, uh, but you have to focus on those to sell your strategy to other people. Otherwise, people are not going to really care that much about what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Unless you're like the Tika three who uh, all ended up being very beautifully emotional players and yeah. lean into it, right? Yeah. 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 I think if you find a group, if you find a majority that all is all like, let's just be emotional. Let's play only with emotion here. Great. That probably would work better. But like, if you're the yeah. only one that's like playing emotionally, it gets hard. So we, yeah, we get the Crofts reference there and we get Jake 
And he's kind of being pretty cutthroat here. He talks to Caleb. He kind of pulls Caleb in. And then he's laughing at his own joke about uh, he's ready to jump ship. Good thing he's a good swimmer type of thing. And then he laughs for an unusually long time for how funny. Yeah, it was maniacal. Yeah, I think it turned from like, I'm funny to like, this is maniacal. And then he couldn't help himself. Um, But I think he's got it right here. Going back to what we said earlier about like, Jake's tribe, Jake hasn't gone to tribal council. Nobody knows, like he doesn't know where his lines are. And so we get Kelly talking about being in the middle and good things she was. And, and I also agree, like we looked earlier and if there hadn't been a swap and if Kelly's tribe had gone to tribal council, she would have had to draw a hard line against two people who thought that they were with her, which is always a problem. Yeah. I, you want to show your cards, I think, as late as possible. Agreed. Because the minute you show your cards, there will be people who turn against you. And like as many rounds as you can keep the target off your back, the better. But it also begs the question of like, when do you strike? It's That's the, that's the puzzle of Survivor. It's so complicated. And I, I think like, as I reflect on my game, I very much, I, I striked too late in the sense of like, they got me before I got them. So loyalty is so important in longevity with the game, but it also, I feel like, can hinder people from making the correct move, which is to get people who are probably thinking of getting you before you get them, and they're not as loyal to you as they feigned. So it's so complex, and that's why I just freaking love this game. Yeah, it is always a balance. And, you know, it's anybody who doesn't win can go to a moment and say they were too early or too late. Yeah. I think you forget the design of the game sometimes when you're out there based on the emotions of it all, where like, yeah, like, you know, you signed up for this game to like vote people out. But then as soon as you meet them, you fall in love with everyone. I don't know about you necessarily, but like, I I really did. (laughs) Me? Why not me? You don't think I have love in my heart? (laughs) No, you do, but it's probably expressed differently. Uh, whereas for me, it's like it was very explicitly like, wow, I really like you. Let me work with you. And I think that was to my own detriment because I forgot the design of the game, which is to encourage people to behave badly, right, in order to succeed. Um, and I think really good players are able to put their emotions aside and say, I love you, but you're in the way of me winning. Yeah, it's also a balance. Like you have to give your alliance enough of you emotionally. Mm-hmm. that they trust you more. Yeah. But giving them too much and then betraying them is also bad. Yeah, that's why that's why players like Jesse are just incredible to watch because you can see him making that the, the moral choice between sticking with someone that he's loyal to and then cutting them in order to propel his chances of winning. Yeah, but in such a way that it's not totally devastating to the person he cut. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Ice Tea. Go beyond reality with new Pure Leaf Blackberry Ice Tea and discover a berry delicious world bursting with unexpected blackberry flavor. A world so full of refreshing blackberry iced tea that you may never want to leave. But there's always time to linger. 
Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Ice Tea. Visit amazon.com slash pureleaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Ice Tea. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX is Clipped, now streaming only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Still at Lulu, everyone's fighting over Caleb now. Like every single individual, everybody goes. Katura sees Bruce and Kelly. Bruce tells Kelly that she's his number one. How many people should you tell are are your number one? Uh, I would not tell anyone that. Um, but I think, I don't think there's the right number. I think it's based on your perception of if someone's trustworthy. I think you shouldn't tell everyone like Swathi on my season did. Yeah, that's the wrong number. Everyone is the wrong number. I think one or none for me yeah. is the right number. I, I think you need to give yourself some like plausible deniability too yes. in that you should never commit to someone as your number one, but you should commit to a like an idea of a group of people because people talk. Your relationships are not exclusive when yeah. you're out there. Everyone talks. So they're going to compare notes if they're smart. So for you to say you're my number one versus you uh, and you are my closest group, that will take you a lot further because once those two people compare notes, they're like, oh yeah, no, he's cool with both of us. So I think if you play too much in terms of like promising people, uh, you're going to set yourself up for failure. I agree. I think uh, people do talk. I, I forget which season, but I do remember cross-referencing uh, uh, notes with some people and someone had told us that we were their number one, like five different people were like, oh, he said I was his number one. And that ended real bad real quick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you like this uh, drawn out montage of Katura complaining, uh, mimicking Bruce, mocking Bruce? Is that what she was doing? Uh, complaining about Bruce? Do you, uh, as the uh, queers would say, red hemp for filth? <laughs> okay. I don't even know what that means. It, it just means you're yeah. just like making fun of someone uh-huh. based on your like observations of them. It's, yeah. it's silly. Yeah. It's nothing serious. But like she reads Bruce for filth every chance she gets. Yeah, she I sure wonder, does. I wonder how their like interpersonal relationship is today. Because if I was Bruce, I would be very hurt. <laughs> how much of it can he perceive? on the island though, because I know that if it's someone that I can tell I'm rubbing the wrong way, (laughs) then I'm like, eh, they they have a problem with me. Like I can tell that, like whatever they say is whatever at this point, because I know that they don't love me and that's fine. Uh, Versus if Bruce thinks they're all good, then yeah, definitely he's gotta be upset by this. Uh, Would you get along with Bruce out there? Who Who would you get along with more out there, Bruce or Keturah? Keturah. Same. Katora, just because I think she has the ability to read the room. Mm-hmm. And I think when you play a, 
a game like Survivor, you want to surround yourself with people that are aware. Yeah, it's like a catch-22. Like They're aware, they're probably smart and thinking. Um, but aligning yourself with a player that is rubbing people the wrong way is also setting yourself up for uh, more difficulty. Like, uh, for example, my season, I definitely considered working with Romeo. I saw him as a number to be picked up. But I also knew that he was annoying everyone on the tribe. So for me, it would have been an uphill battle uh, considering working with him if I knew no one else wanted to. Right. Yeah. And uh wish you would have told me that before I started working with Coach on uh, token chains. <laughs> so, well, I guess at, for that example, what was your perception at the time? Did you perceive him as annoying or as someone that uh, you could still work with regardless of his personality? I could still work. So initially, I was like, this dude is a straight shooter, like right off the bat, week one, <laughs> something like that. I was like, he's not going to lie to me. This guy is not. And then he started kind of like spiraling into this dragon slayer persona where he would like, and I'm not like that type of guy. Like if you give yourself a, a nickname player. and then what? I'm not a drag. I am a dragon slayer, but I am not like a role playing type. Like you calling me a knight is going to be more annoying. <laughs> like that's why I'm on Katura's side here because I can see that Bruce is playing up something that it doesn't uh -huh. seem fully sincere. And yeah. that irks me. And so when coach started doing that, I was like, oh, come on, dude, just be like normal. But then at that point, I was like, he loves me so much. Yeah. He loves me so much yeah. that he's not going to lie to me, A. And B, it would be absolutely devastating long term for this man if I turned on him. Oh. And that was where it got a little emotional because, I mean, he was still like, going to stick by me. So there was no reason to cut him. But I knew that if I did have to cut him, it would be devastating. And yeah. so that's like what's really hard. So yeah, but I knew how everybody else perceived him. Mm. It was, so it wasn't. But at that point, it was just like, also, I was like, they're really annoyed with him. So I feel like they might get rid of him before me if it ever comes down to that. And that will at least give me some wiggle room. But uh, that didn't happen. I guess people thought I was a bigger threat than him. Well, that's part of the strategy for players who are received like poorly is that, well, I'll get them out next round. They're an easy target next round. And yeah. they'll out-survive you because no one's targeted them because they're annoying. It's such a valid strategy. Yeah, it's crazy. It's uh, a lot of people who watch the show or especially people with athletic backgrounds or competitive backgrounds, they're like, why is the dead weight still there? They don't deserve to be there. And it's like, because you can't vote 10 people out every time. You can only vote one person out and there's people you got to get. And eventually you're not going to be able to get, you can't get everyone. Yeah. And so that's like the balance is like when it's all timing, when to strike and who to strike and how. And uh, there's no right or wrong answer, but right. you can't, vote out 19 people on day one and that's what makes the game so tricky yeah that's the interesting part yeah that is the interesting part let's go to the to uh bellow real quick uh with the blue emily's on the tribe there and she wants to play it low-key did she find the right balance there between uh you know saying she's on the bottom giving enough information being open yeah she i mean she played that like a second time player i think she read the room so well she relayed just enough information to let everyone know that she had no connections 
on the other side. The way that she was carrying herself with a lot more positivity mm-hmm. made people attracted to her, which was the correct way to play it. And then she laid low and waited for someone to invite her into an alliance versus coming in hot and overzealous and, hey, pulling people aside. Hey, like, give me a chance, work with me. Because again, the perception is if you are too desperate, why would I want to work with you? Like, I have something that you don't have and you might ruin it for me if I let you in versus she was calm, cool, and collected and someone saw her as an asset. She played that absolutely the correct way. Yeah. I mean, she's the swing vote here between Kendra and Brando and Drew and Austin. And if you're just showing me this on paper, Emily and Drew and Austin make more. They, To me, it seems more cohesive than... Emily and, and Kendra are like the exact polar yeah. opposites yeah. of mindset. <laughs> I recall that scene from like the premiere where like Lulu are talking about who built the pyramids oh and they're all like the aliens. And Emily's just sitting there like, you guys are all idiots. I, I need some scenes of Kendra and Emily interacting. Yeah. Like I need that the next episode because I can only imagine <laughs> how they're going to bump heads. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited because everybody's talked and keeps talking and saying how analytical Emily is. Mm-hmm. Kendra is the opposite. What is the exact opposite of analytical? She's she that. vibes. Yeah, she vibes. Yeah, she's yeah. just only vibes. Yeah, Emily's analytical, which I think is her job. And yeah. then Kendra's vibes, which I think is also a large part of her job. Yeah, I think so. So uh, I, I like it. I like that juxtaposition there. Riley, are you Kendra or Emily more? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm, I'm Emily. I know you are. I just was testing to see if you were going to tell me the truth because then I would know whether or not you're with me. Um, I need Emily and Bruce on the same tribe. Hopefully with, <laughs> hopefully with Katura too. <laughs> Emily, Bruce, Katura, Sifu? Yeah, Sifu Ooh, and yeah, Kendra. No. That's like the mix right there. And just yeah. see where the lines get drawn. They'd love each other. Uh, we get to the immunity challenge. Pretty challenging. I mean, they're all challenging. And I always am like, how do they get it right every time where it's such a struggle to lift this thing, but everybody's still able to move this thing? Yeah, I thought the challenge was really cool. I don't think we've ever seen this before. I like the design where the the box was limiting their movement, but they also had to navigate it and move it in order to get around. And it was also a factor in like shooting the basketball. I thought that was really cool and well-designed. Also, I really like when a challenge doesn't always end in a puzzle, right? Yeah. Like, sure, but like change it up. And they did. And I thought it was so fun. I was surprised that Red did as well as they did because when the swap happened, I was like, oh, they're doomed because they have no perceived muscle. Right. So they were very close. Yeah. And I also, as I was watching it and I was watching everybody shoot a basketball, I, all, I get asked all the time, like, what's the best way to prepare for Survivor if I want to play Survivor? Experiences. The more life experiences you gain, the better it is for you in Survivor. Shooting a basketball is also an experience. True. And Reba didn't have anybody who could shoot a basketball. Sifu ended up figuring it out, but you can tell by his form that he is not a regular basketball shooter. Yeah. And so the fact that he figured it out and even made some baskets was also shocking to me after his first attempt and everybody else on the on his tribe couldn't even get the ball to the hoop. Yeah. So 
that's where the broader your spectrum of experience and talent is, the more powerful you will be on Survivor because those moments come up like Absolutely. all the time and being able to deal with different personalities. Like I don't have to be a world-class basketball player, but if I know how to shoot a basketball or I'm familiar with the game to a certain degree, like that's also maybe going to bond me with somebody who does play basketball. Like that's like all the way around and it helps in bonding personally with people. It helps yeah. in the challenges, all of those things. Carson's at home right now, 3D printing this a giant a basketball. <laughs> <laughs> you can buy them. I don't know why he's printing them, but whatever, you know, to each their own. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think to build on to that, I think when you enter the game, if you are dismissing or not considering everyone a threat in some way, mm -hmm you're already failing to understand the game, which is that everyone who gets cast, and I stand by this, has the ability to win. Like, I don't think they're casting people anymore just to be, like, stupid and, like, made fun of on TV. I think they're casting people with a real shot to win based on their lived experiences. So if you aren't considering everyone, like, capable, yeah. you're, you're gonna lose. Hi, that's probably my biggest blind spot. As I go in, I'm like, eh, I'm the most capable. I should be okay as long as I tell everybody what to do. Yeah. And then it bites me in the ass. I did the same thing. I thought Marianne was going to be the first one to go home. Yeah. Like we had this two week uh, quarantine in Fiji before we started the game. And they would let us out of the hotel room once a day to walk around in the circle. And we couldn't talk or anything, but we could size each other up. And I looked at Marianne like, is your Bogardian here? Because you're you're like 16. You're gonna like get eaten up by all of us. And then she kicked all of our asses. Yeah, it is true. Like if you can, I think you also like throughout the game, if there's a way for future players, if you're listening, to take a moment to reset to that mindset, that would be really powerful. Because you get out there and you have these interactions. You're like, oh, they have no chance because I can tell that I'm, head and shoulders above them strategically, but maybe they're playing you. Like, that's yeah. the thing is like, that's, and you can, you always have to have that in the back of your head is like, maybe they're the ones playing me and I'm not playing them. Yeah. I think it's definitely there with a lot of players, but like, you need to keep checking yourself. It's every conversation, you have to do that. It resets every conversation. You're right. Yeah. So, Bello crushes with Austin shooting at the end. Then, Reba loses. Lulu wins. Oh, does Lulu win the whole thing? Yeah, Lulu wins the whole thing. Lulu with Caleb. He's so overjoyed, ecstatic. Yeah. And he's like drilling those shots. Like he hits the first two on his first two tries and then needs like three tries for the... He's made so many basketball references that it was like, well, he better make these shots. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he made basketball. I remembered, I thought that too this time. I was like, Survivor going for like the NBA slash Survivor. Like what does that Venn diagram look like? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was like, I know one of the two basketball players he talked about. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, so he they win, and Bellow's second. Reba to Tribal Council. Jay Maya still closing words from the challenge. She is hell bent on getting rid of Sifu. Like, yeah, and is this a blinder situation for her? Like, Yes, I, I very much read it as Jay Maya not reading the room correctly. 
because I, and I'm not going to say it was all emotional. I think there was a lot of logic too, in the sense of she thought C2 had an idol or that he was. Did she really think that though? I can't tell. Like that's what the edit said. And I'm not sure what happened on Reba pre-swap for her to think that or if it was an excuse. Like she obviously just doesn't like the guy. Like he's annoying to her. Yeah. So, but it came off more emotional than it did logical because her foil in this conversation was, was Julie, who very much interpreted her decisions to be emotional. And Julie wanted to vote based off of strength, which is logical. And as a result, like J. Maya should have perceived the first few conversations that people weren't agreeing with her. Yeah. Right. I think the blinders were, hey, this is going to make sense for my game. So it is going to make sense for your game. The second someone tells you, I don't think this makes sense for my game, you should consider that. People's words have meaning. And if you just dismiss them because you're so laser focused on your goal, you're not actively listening. So I was really nervous for Jay Maya because I'm rooting for her. But I thought she might have made the wrong decision and like pursuing this so hard. Yeah, I I think there are moments depending on where you stand in a tribe and where you stand in the game where you do need to really push for something like that. I think it's too early here, though. People don't really agree and they don't really like the idea that much and they question it a bunch. To me, I think always the more powerful play and maybe it's a not anymore was to get someone else to say a name or to say a couple names and then mm. pick from those names who would be best for your game to exit. Like that's yeah, because J. Maya saying Sifu so many times, that's also like it only takes one person to go to Sifu and be like, J. Maya has been saying your name and now it's a war. You're in a war at that point. Yeah. And yeah. a passive aggressive war on Survivor where you still have to like look okay to everybody else, but need to target this person and need to put the target on them while not looking like you're actively doing that. It's so tricky, though. On my season, I very much was averse to throwing out names at the beginning of the game just because I was worried that whatever name I threw out would come back to me. And it was a little uh, detrimental to my relationship with Jenny. Like, that's a large reason why we couldn't work together was every conversation we would try to have strategically was so, like, tense. She would be like, who are you thinking? And I'm like, I don't know. Who are you thinking? She says, like, I don't know. I'm open. And it would and then that was telling in itself, where like you don't trust me enough to tell me a name and vice versa. Yeah. So it was like an almost overcorrection based on being afraid that the name will come back to you. Yeah. And you can feel that. You can feel that from people. Yeah. Like if you're both doing that, then you have to be like, well, let's go through everybody one by one. I'm not saying a name, but yeah. let's break it down. Like there's a it's a tricky dance to do and uh, everything can be weaponized, but you also have to give up information and hope that it doesn't get weaponized. Reba, pretty much we just get like the bounce around of like, is Sean going to stay around? Did, did you notice anything in particular about that sequence of events on uh, Reba's tribe before they went to tr tribal council? Um, I thought before tribal council, they were, to me, it was like a little shockingly obvious considering how yeah. well the season has given you options as the viewer every time yeah, uh, to consider like what could happen. 
I thought it was a little too apparent that Sifu was going to be the target because Sean was portrayed so positively every time he was mentioned. People talked about his great positive personality and how much they liked him. And every time Sifu was portrayed, he was annoying and he was the target, right? So I was like, this is going to be a really clear and cut decision at Tribal Council. Little did I know. Well, I also was kind of surprised that Jay Maya targeting Sifu so hard didn't come back to her immediately. Like the first time she started targeting and everybody was like, nah, let's, are you sure? I thought she's in trouble here, but Julie and D aren't trusting Sifu enough for some reason to go to him with information about Jay Maya. And I think, I mean, that's good for Jay's game. Sifu, you know, not so much. But we also get the moment where they check Sean's bag. And I kind of like that they had to tie a matching knot in one of their bags so they could replicate the knot in Sean's bag in case. And now all of a sudden, there's this new thing. So the next seasons of Survivor, 46, 47, 48, whatever they are, now everybody is going, if you check a bag, you now have to build the bag exactly identical. And when you build a bag, your own bag, you have to build it in an intricate way that you remember so that you then know that somebody's gone through your bag. Yes. Also, can I just compliment and applaud D and Julie for having the wherewithal to think, huh, let me replicate the knots and put the order of the things in the same way that Sean had it. Like I would not, I would not have ever done that. I would have just like started pulling things out. Yeah. Um, that was such a cool thing to see how their brain worked in that situation. Yeah, I agree. I think it's uh, it's one of those things where like Survivor, it's the game is never off. Like you have to think of everything and hopefully think of everything somebody else has thought of and counter it by, you know, doing the not thing or whatever it is. So I also like that. And right before we go to tribal council, Sifu kind of like, it seems like he's kind of sniffing things out where he's like, seems a little too straightforward. And are you sure it's not me to Julie? And, uh, I kind of was like, okay, Sifu's pretty perceptive too. He does read energies. We go into tribal council. Should Sifu have played a shot in the dark here? Is this a moment for him to play a shot in the dark? It's so tricky. Shot in the dark adds such a complex component to the game when you feel like you are the target. And also when you try to execute any plan because it's something to consider. Um, for me, I never considered using it because I honestly forgot about it. Like yeah. even like when I got blindfolded, walking out, I didn't think I had any other options. So I think it takes a player that's very perceptive and read like and is able to read the room to decide to use it because I think most of us forget that it's there. Yeah, it's hard to play because playing it shows mistrust. Yes, so you have to be accurate in the fact that you are on the wrong side. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're going to have a lot of damage control for sure. But like, I'm looking at this, I'm like, okay, Sifu is unsure. He's kind of, it looks like he maybe kind of sniffed something out that something was suspect. He should look at the numbers. And that's the trick is like, okay, I look at the numbers and I think Julie and D are voting with me and J. Maya probably because Reba's strong. But I get a weird feeling 
So if they're not, then I'm dead in the water no matter what. And also my vote isn't really going to matter if they all vote the way that they're telling me. So this is the perfect moment, I think, for someone to play a shot in the dark. Now that you're talking it out, I would agree with you from a mathematical standpoint. Yeah. Let's consider Sifu's perception, which is that he's in this foursome with all of his Rebas. And he senses that he's in danger, right? So like the, the game theory is like, okay, I play it because I perceive I might be in danger or I don't play it and I vote because I'm not actually in danger. If you're not actually in danger, you can play your shot in the dark, right? From a mathematical standpoint, there will still be three votes on Sean. He'll still go. That's best case scenario. Worst case scenario is you're actually the target. Yeah. You play the shot in the dark. You might fail to be safe, but you at least better your odds because if for some reason the other three turns on you, it's you 100% versus a one in six shot. So I think the correct call probably was to play the shot in the dark. Um, But again, we're the audience. We have a lot more information than he does. So it's really hard to be put in the spot when you're there. Right. We get this whole thing and building into tribal council, everybody's like, we're going to say we're Reba strong, even if we're not. And that's like what you have to say to Sean to calm him down so he doesn't play his shot in the dark. And then you have to do it to Sifu so that he is. So either direction they're going, Reba strong is like the theme at tribal council. There's all these looks uh, as to what's happening. And then all of the sudden we get to this moment with Sean where he asks to get voted out and i am like and the music is so so soft and sad and the mo the it's a very emotional moment and i'm thinking like part of me is like is sean acting is he this good this would be the most brutal mm-hmm. like if i'm sifu and i exit right here i'm never never forgetting that this and i was hopeful of that i was like is this a moment but at what moment there did you think that Sean was 100% real like what at what like because for me like the start of that I would have been like uh I don't know you know like maybe but then at a certain point you have to it, it was real I think it's when the monologue ended I think people generally don't give monologues at tribal council unless they feel very emotionally driven yeah because like the thing about tribal council is like smart players know to shut their mouth. The more you talk, the more information you give, the more people are listening. You just don't want to talk a lot. Yeah. So for him to give a monologue as to how he feels and then tie it to his decision and then to ask people very explicitly to write his name down, I realized at that point, oh, he meant it, right? Because yeah. if, it, if it was more of a strategy... I don't think he would have gone on such a long-winded monologue. I will say, I am going to give him so much grace just like I did with Hannah because until you're out there, you don't understand what sort of stimulus is causing these contestants to feel whatever they feel. And it's not just like what is visibly shown on TV. It's like what they are thinking and feeling and experiencing so it's really hard for us to sit at home and be like, oh, you made the wrong decision or you made a selfish decision or you took someone's spot. No, they didn't. That's their experience. But for me personally, it's it's weird. When I was out there, I love my family. I love my partner. I love my dogs, but I never thought about them because I was so laser focused 
on the game. And I think most of us were too. So I can't even comprehend in that moment how it feels to be so like out of the game. And I think that's what it is, right? I think like to really understand Sean's decision, you have to think of like what it typically feels like, which is like you're so in the game that everything else is noise. And I think when you're removed from the game, even when you're there, it's really easy to say, you know what? I'm really not that into it as much as sucks and as much as the community is going to like hate me i can't do it like i think that's what people need to consider is like well damn you really did consider all of the implications you don't do it i think i had a moment like this on winners at war and i remember having a conversation with jeff about it where going on survivor in general not for everybody is a very very selfish thing to do to go on a game show and leave everything and all of your commitments behind and everybody you're committed to behind is harder on them while they're at home and you're gone on this adventure with no phone number, no way of getting in contact, unknown completely, and you're out there playing a game, there are circumstances where people are desperate for the money or this is the best thing and this is going to change their circumstances. But I think in general, I was like, there's something heroic about recognizing the selfishness of doing this and that the real important thing is at home. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You said that beautifully. Oh, thank you. I didn't even, yeah, I didn't even think about that, but you're right. I think there are so many people in your life that have to sign off on this opportunity that people don't see because they didn't go through the experience that you did where your family has a real life that they're continuing, uh, in spite of you not being there and covering for you yeah it's hard and like you don't know people's situations so you should really give them a lot of empathy and grace because you don't know their situation yeah riley's over here like you guys are full of garbage you never quit the game (laughs) i I heard him pre pre pre-show he was (laughs) mad about it i before you jumped on the call high he was upset I'm, i'm upset at the at the quitters this season i'm like the other side of this which is it's really why though dis- because I feel like it. So, yes, I, I understand how going on Survivor is is can be selfish and is so hard on everybody back home. I just think realize that before you go. This is a whole months long. Probably people dream about for years of going on this. It's not like you don't know that you're going to be gone for a month and whatnot. The way so what I was talking about before we hit record is that. I thought of myself in this situation, not on the island, but back home. And if my wife yeah. was on Survivor, and if I heard that after nine days she quit because she just, you know, couldn't couldn't stand the, you know, being apart and wanted to spend every moment with me, I'd be like, that's really sweet, but I would be very upset. <laughs> I want her to have that adventure and have that time and and to compete and to give it everything that she has, not to bow out when you're already a third of the way through. Like Go yeah. there to play. Go there to have an experience and make the most of it. Don't back out like that. I just, it's very frustrating. It's not, it, yeah, but it's not just your, it's not just your significant other. It's like, I have kids. They don't give a shit if I'm on Survivor. They want me home. Me explaining to them I'm leaving. They don't understand that. They don't care. And Sean is a principal at an elementary school. There's a lot of people that are probably relying on him. And there's a lot of people that don't fully understand what going on Survivor means in both directions. So I think it's more complex than 
than you and your significant other. I think you got to think through, I mean, if you're a principal and you're like, hey, they film at this time of the year. And so that's really hard. That's something you know way in advance. You've got kids, you understand how it sure, but you're passing all these burdens on to everybody else that you're not even then considering when you're playing but you know in advance i think i think you know in advance that you're going to pass those burdens on that's a decision you got to make before you even go hi who's right who's right me or riley i think riley's point makes sense if you assume that people don't change and people's capacities stay the same yeah i like based on real life like that's not a thing like our our emotions and our capacity changes throughout the day let alone like two weeks into starving and really considering whether or not you want to be there. Like we all want to be there. Like we all signed up for it. We wanted to be there. It's the most exciting thing that's ever happened to us. Yeah. And then it sometimes isn't the most exciting thing that's ever happened to us. And then you realize, well, damn, I really don't care for this. And that's okay. And people are going to be mad at you. That's okay. Like people are allowed to be upset with you. I think the point is like, consider their experience as also valid. Sure. It doesn't have to be what you want it to be, but it's what happened. Yeah. And I also think for me, when I'm looking at something like this, like Sean's decision, Hannah's decision, if two months from when they made that decision, they are at peace with it. If six months down the road, they're at peace with it. If 10 years from now, they're still at peace with it, they made the right decision for them. If they're living in regret and that's only personal for them. That's not the fan base to say that they were wrong or right. That's the only person that can answer that question is them personally. And Sean did leave us with a gift, which is now Reba is in utter chaos. Yeah. Yeah. What What was D doing here on this vote? I mean, well, let's yeah. What, what in the world? So, <laughs> so going into the vote, Sean gives this touching speech about. Uh, growing up Mormon and lost a lot of years pretending to be someone he's not. And he thought that he would gain that time back by going on this amazing adventure and being who he is, being himself on national TV when he realized that his adventure is being at home with his husband. And he asked everyone to write their name down, his name down. And then we see these girls whispering, like, let's get Sifu still. I don't mind it. Like if I'm the girls and it's like, Sean kind of wants to quit. Let's get both the guys out in one like punch. Like, yes. We'll get Sifu. Then Sean's down on himself. He's probably <laughs> going to quit. And if he doesn't, he's going to quit the next time. So let's just stick together. Let's get a twofer right here. Yeah. I honestly was, I was very selfish when I was watching the scene. I was like, I'm I'm so sorry. Like you can quit when we get back to camp. But yeah. Like I'm gonna get two people out. Like absolutely. That <laughs> was like honestly, that would have been very interesting too. I think like asking, I think asking people to vote you out is like, sure, I get it. Like you still get voted out. Like you're not gonna be shunned as much. But from an entertainment perspective, like it's not as it's not as exciting. The episode flat falls flat. Yeah, the there. Yeah, but I am excited for the uh, for the fallout when they do get back to camp and Sifu's like, who voted for me? Yeah. Well, so Sifu whispers in Sean's ear as as he gives Sean a hug. He's like, "Did you vote for me?" Sean's like, "No." Sean threw a vote at D yeah. as a garbage vote. That's where I kind of as they went to vote, I was like, if Sean throws a garbage vote, he's one hundred percent sincere about wanting everyone to vote for him. If he votes Sifu, he's still part of them, wants to be in that game. Yeah. 
Part of me thinks that D voted Sifu as a safety measure in case there was a shot in the dark. Yeah. And I think that she probably did. But what I don't think she realized is that Sifu was very quick on his feet. A lot of times when you get voted for in that moment, you can't act fast enough. And Sifu, I think, was very good at acting quickly and secretively. And now he has that that knowledge that D is going to try and pin it on Sean. And Sifu knows better. I don't think D can pin it on Sean because somebody had to vote D and it wasn't Sifu and it's not going to be one of the girls. Yeah. But is somebody going to admit, is D going to admit, is somebody going to admit that they wrote Sifu or is everybody going to be denying it? Or is everybody going to be pointing fingers? I think Julie might end up saying it was D who mouthed Sifu to me. Well, now this would be beautiful. What if J. Maya is the one that then comes to Sifu (laughs) and now they're... I can't, I think J. Maya is going to scramble and try to like uh, say that D and Julie were spearheading it if she was smart. Yeah, yeah. I, I like it. I like the way it played out. Uh, I understand Sean's reasoning there. It doesn't bother me. Riley, these guys put in all the work to get on the show. They earned the, the right to have the experience they wanted. It's not like they just got like a lotto ball drawn out of this tumbler machine. <laughs> they went through casting. They filled out all the paperwork. They went through all the interviews. They convinced casting at Survivor, they were the right person for the job. And so they earned their right to be there from that standpoint. And their experience is... No, wrong. There's they, Their choice. They get to have the experience that they right. choose for themselves out there. Nope. They're, they're there for my entertainment. And so, <laughs> so okay. solely, that's it. No, I hear you, though. It's, it, this, it's, this is like good perspective from people who are out there because it is so easy... I know I'm going to get uh, a text from my mom being like, I can't believe we got another quitter. Uh, and that's just very easy to do from the couch. Yeah, I think it's easier for viewers to do, and that's totally valid. It shocks me when alumni do it, because I'm just like, you know, you've been there. You understand. It's not as black and white. Yeah, when alumni are like, you can't quit. I hate a quitter. And when hosts do it, too, honestly. Like, it's like, okay. And I'm not saying Jeff. I'm not blaming anybody here. But there are shows where hosts are renowned and famous for hating quitters. And the hosts have never played the game. The hosts have never been. The hosts have always had a phone to call home. Yeah. This is their job. This is what they do. They know that uh, they're going to get paid for this season. They're going to get paid for the next season. They're going to get paid for the next season. So their experience as a host, I don't think gives them the full spectrum or scope of what these people are going through. So I think hating a quitter is, uh, is incorrect. Yeah, I agree. So, um, with that, uh, Riley, let's hit your superlatives real quick. All right. Let's do best move of the episode. Uh, I think, I think Emily and even Caleb integrating themselves into their new tribe so quickly and letting the action come to them like that is so hard to do sometimes is sit and wait and let the action come to you. And it's something that everybody who plays Survivor should be able to do. Yeah. This is like kind of the the ideal swap for the Lulu members, as we kind of said. I agree. I think Emily was the move of the episode, like integrating herself into a new tribe very yeah. well. Yep, me too. Three for three. Boom. Worst move. <laughs> 
I mean, I know Riley's going to say Sean. No, I'm not going to say Sean. I mean, well... I will say Riley. Sean made the right move for him. (laughs) If the goal is to win the game, then I guess Sean made the worst move. Quitting makes it hard to win the game. But that's not what I was going to say. It's not always always the goal either. I know, I know. That that's not that I mean, wasn't if the Sean's one I had, saying though. the goal is to the goal is to be himself and make up for lost time. Making up for lost time is at home with his loved ones. Makes sense. So, um, worst move of the game, I think Jay Maya and Katura both just like playing from our perspective too emotionally. I'm gonna go with D voting for someone she knew would remain in yeah. the game despite someone asking to quit. She should have had somebody else do that if she could. Yeah. 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 yeah I, that's smart. That So that's what I had too, was D voting for Sifu. Not smart. But maybe she plays it off. Maybe she pins it on someone else. Maybe it's a huge thing and D comes out on top because of it. I think if she can spin it as like, hey, what if Sean had played a shot in the dark or something? No. Mi- I think she doesn't take credit for it. I think she keeps... Just lies. Denying, deny, deny, blame deny. Maya. blaming J Maya. Yeah. Okay. Favorite moment. Favorite moment, Katura and Bruce. Like yeah. that has to be <laughs> like uh, her just rambling on and on and mocking Bruce the whole time. And then also like when Bruce came back with and was like, I lost the flint and Katura rolling her eyes while everybody else is like, no, no, no. And then he's like, got it. And she's like, stop, <laughs> yeah. stop being Bruce. That was funny. Yeah, that was pretty good, right? <laughs> How about you, Hi? Favorite moment? Uh, my favorite moment was... <laughs> it's going to sound really rude, but when Bruce started crying and then immediately Katora just like makes fun of him. I'm sorry. That was that got me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A good like boom, full swing. Yeah. Yeah, that cut, that cut to her confessional during the like zipper thing was... Yeah. Very, very good. All right, let's do winner picks. I have to stick with Kelly. I mean, we haven't seen much of her. I think the swap was good for her because she was going to have to choose a side at some point. It was going to probably be too early. So now she never had to choose a side on her old tribe. And now she's also, because she was working both sides as positioned decently with her old tribe mates on her new tribe. Mm. And also, I chose her from the get-go before the game even started. So, ride or die for me. Unless she does something really boneheaded, then I may jump ship. Hi, what about you? I'm now rooting for Emily. I would love to see a Denise and Malcolm-esque storyline where they just get, their tribe is just decimated and they somehow make it to the end and they win despite going to all of the tribal councils. And also, I think Emily is the antithesis of Carolyn, who was so well-received last year for being so emotional and lovely, and she is the opposite, quite frankly, just like a little mechanical and sometimes cold, but also quite lovely, and I would love to see someone like her succeed in the game. Yeah, so you think a future season of uh, emotion versus analytical is uh, maybe... Yeah, like vibes versus... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, something like that. Strategy versus emotion. Yeah. Bring back themes. Who knows? Did we're always revolutionizing the game up in here? <laughs> you know, who's to say? You know, tribe swap. We invented that. We're inventing tribe themes. It's all happening. Uh, I'm jumping ship. I had D for a few weeks, but I can't support the the Sifu 
vote. And no, no, so so much so that you don't think her path to winning is clear enough for you to s- s- stay on board. Not not as clear as Emily, who I'm going to pick now. Who I've been I've been kind of like wanting to shout her out in this segment every week, and now I'm like now I'm on board, Emily, and I feel like D. Ugh, I just thought there you go. Thought she was a little better than voting Sifu when Sifu's going to stay. I don't like it. Well, we know the Riley curse exists where yeah. when he chooses who's the winner, they go home next week. Uh, that hasn't ha- That's only happened with Hannah so far, but last season it happened four or five episodes in a row. Yeah. And uh, do we have the reverse Riley curse where now D will go on to win because you jumped ship? That'd be almost even worse. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Uh, what else we got? All right, last one is who's going home next? I think Reba's losing again. Yeah. Maybe not. Let me think. Yeah, I think Reba's losing again, and I think it's, I think Jay Maya's in trouble. I think Sifu's in trouble because I just don't see how he could rebound in a group that was all after him. And if he comes back to camp post tribal and makes the same sort of move that Emily did, which is, capitalize on people's fear he'll be able to but i don't think he's that type of player i think he's going to dig a hole for himself based on his reaction right i'm gonna say katura actually i just feel like her her kind of like one like track target on bruce is that's like a line of thinking that often backfires on players yeah that is true yeah i don't mind any of those i think uh they're all plausible all right. Hi, thank you so much for your time and energy on the podcast. We loved having you. Where can people get more high if they want it and need it? You can find me on Instagram at are you high? You can find me on Twitter at Zhangy High or my burner account, JP Brennan93, aka Justine Brennan's Twitter account. Okay. Uh, yeah, those are the two places you can find me. Perfect. Uh, do you have a preference? Like, are you more active on one or the other? Yeah, I'm, I'm like rarely on Instagram. Cool. Thank you, everyone who tuned in. And uh, we will be back next week with an action-packed episode, like always. Until then, see ya. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.